Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's January, 2018. Paul Manafort and Rick Gates are in a whole lot of trouble. The past is catching up to them. Three months earlier, they'd both been indicted on multiple felony counts, and now it looks like there might be even more charges coming. Gates is getting nervous. They're facing many years in prison. Manafort tells Gates to relax. He's talked to the president's personal counsel. He says they're going to take care of us. Manafort tells Gates he'd be stupid to plead guilty now. Just sit tight. We'll be taken care of. Gates wants to be crystal clear on what exactly Manafort's getting at. So he asks, is the president going to pardon them? This is The Report, Episode 13, Pardons on the Table. So far, Volume 2 has looked at President Trump's efforts to control and limit the Russia investigation and the obstruction inquiry. He's fired Comey and pressured Sessions and Rosenstein and other officials. He's even tried to have Mueller fired. And the president has attempted to conceal what happened during and after the 2016 election by dictating misleading press statements and even pushing his staff to create false internal records. In this episode, we turn to a final category of potentially obstructive activity that Mueller examines in the report, the president's conduct towards people who might be in a position to incriminate him. Three Trump associates find themselves in serious legal jeopardy. Michael Flynn has lied to the FBI about his phone call with the Russian ambassador. Paul Manafort is facing all kinds of questions about his shady business dealings at home and abroad. And Roger Stone is in the crosshairs of federal investigators on obstruction issues as well. All three are in a position to help Mueller fill in some blanks about what the president knew and what he did. And Mueller wants to know whether Trump encouraged them not to talk. In other words, Mueller wants to know about witness tampering. Former federal prosecutor Jamie Nowaday explains how witness tampering fits in with obstruction of justice. At its core, witness tampering is an attempt to influence a witness to do anything other than to tell the complete truth. So it can be an attempt to stop a witness from testifying. It can be an attempt to get a witness to limit his or her testimony or to try to influence the witness to testify falsely. Those, Those would all be instances of witness tampering. It's really a subset of obstruction. So it's the same basic framework. It's just a targeted act of obstruction, right? You are obstructing the process by trying to influence the witness in order to prevent testimony, influence the testimony so that it's false or or limit it in some ways. We'll begin with Michael Flynn. Recall that less than a month into Trump's presidency, in early 2017, Flynn finds himself in trouble with the law. 
Brand new court filing just released. Special counsel Robert Mueller's team slamming former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn for lying to the FBI. Mr. Flynn pled guilty to making a false statement in connection with conversations he had had with Kislyak. Michael Flynn will be in court one hour from now, district court in Washington, D.C. He's been charged with lying to the FBI. Mike Flynn in discussing the sanctions with Kislyak might be in violation of, of a law called the Logan Act. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn appeared with his attorneys here at the federal district courthouse. There is something really odd about Michael Flynn in all of this. He denied that he had ever discussed sanctions when they knew he had. Flynn resigns on February 13, 2017. Trump may have fired him, but he still has nice things to say about his former national security advisor in public. Mike Flynn is a fine person, and I asked for his resignation. He respectfully gave it. I said, I don't think he did anything wrong. If anything, he did something right. He's doing the job. You know, he was just doing his job. This man has served, he's, in my opinion, a very good person. I believe that it would be very unfair to hear from somebody who we don't even know and immediately run out and fire a general. Here's Rosalind Helderman of The Washington Post. If you can sort of look at volume two of the report in kind of two parts. Uh, you have the first lengthy, lengthy section, which is all about all the many ways that Trump uh, works to try to use the levers of government to interfere with the Mueller investigation and control its outcome. Um, the last half is all about the ways that he interacts with witnesses and to potentially try to affect the investigation by controlling the information that Mueller is receiving from the people that he's interviewing. This is a kind of contrasts the way he treats the different witnesses and how closely tied that appears to be to how cooperative they are being to Mueller. Uh, so witnesses who seem to be uncooperative, he treats well. Witnesses who appear to be cooperative, he treats poorly. Uh, and, you know, there's a definitive pattern in what he's doing. Flynn is the one where there's sort of the most wavering. And I think you could speculate it's because the president can never quite figure out, like, just how cooperative Flynn is being and how concerned he needs to be about this. Here's Carrie Johnson of National Public Radio. The president and his allies including people like his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, Ryan's Priebus, KT McFarlane, who had been Flynn's deputy, were all trying to communicate, aside from the president's public remarks, to keep Mike Flynn in the tent. The thinking seems to be that Flynn may have something dangerous or harmful to say. And with somebody like that uh, outside the administration, you want to be clear that they are on the same track as you are. They're not going to say anything hurtful or have a misalignment of interest with you. And that means uh, to keep them in the tent to say they're wonderful, they're brave, they're standing up under all this pressure with the idea perhaps that some kind of pardon or some kind of benefit will come in the future. Initially, Flynn and Trump agree to participate in what's called a joint defense agreement. Nowaday explains. A joint defense agreement is basically an agreement among either charged defendants or subjects in an investigation to work together. So typically, if you have attorney-client privilege communications and you disclose them to a third party, that would result in a waiver of the privilege. But the joint defense agreement provides an exception to that. And because of their common legal interests, 
they can disclose privileged communications to each other for the purpose of developing a coordinated joint defense strategy, and there will be no waiver of the privilege. Your lawyer doesn't become my lawyer and vice versa. We still have our own individual representation, but it means that they can share information. So if my lawyer talks to the government and learns a little bit about what the government's evidence is and where things are headed, that can be shared with your lawyer, and then we can formulate a joint strategy based on that. The president's supportive comments about his former national security advisor aren't persuading federal investigators to back off. Trump might think Flynn is a very good person, but the FBI has hard evidence that he committed a crime by lying to agents. And so Flynn decides his best bet is to cooperate with the special counsel. In late November 2017, Flynn began to cooperate with this office. On November 22, 2017, Flynn withdrew from a joint defense agreement he had with the president. Flynn's counsel told the president's personal counsel and counsel for the White House that Flynn could no longer have confidential communications with the White House or the president. Uh, When it first emerges that Flynn might be cooperative, which actually happens some months before he starts cooperating with Mueller, first there were these stories he could cooperate with Congress. Trump uh, uh, sort of sends private messages to Flynn uh, that, you know, he should stay strong and he feels badly for him. He tries to send him a message through KT McFarland. Uh, But then this moment comes in the fall of 2017 where Flynn's lawyers actually inform the president's lawyers that uh, they are leaving their joint defense agreement uh, because their interests are no longer aligned. Leaving a joint defense agreement is a big hint that someone's planning to cooperate. And when Flynn withdraws, the president's lawyers know exactly what's going on. If you decide that you're going to go on team government and you're going to share everything, uh, you need to notify the joint defense group before you do that because they've been sharing, you know, maybe freely, maybe too freely with you about their strategies and their client's legal position and that sort of thing. But once that notice is given, um, typically you know, with very few exceptions, pretty much all substantive communication is cut off at that point. They're in a joint defense agreement for months and months. And part of that agreement is that if you uh, if you do have a divergence of interest, you have to let those other people know right away. So it's a bit of a delicate balancing act. We do know eventually he did decide to plead guilty. But that took a bunch of months in which the president of the United States and all of the president's allies were trying to keep Mike Flynn on their side. Here's Matt Zapatowski of The Washington Post. When you, when you break a joint defense agreement, you obviously have to tell the people that you were in it that you're getting out. So um, that notification is transmitted, and Trump's attorney calls up um, Flynn, uh, Flynn's people, and tries again in this kind of weird way to communicate that the president has his back. And if he is going to cooperate, like maybe that would change. It's all sort of vague language. The very night that Flynn withdraws from the joint defense agreement, Trump's personal lawyer leaves a voicemail for Flynn's lawyer. Hey, Rob. Um, This is John again. I'm sympathetic. I understand your situation, but let me see if I can state it in starker terms. If you have gone on to make a deal and uh, work with the government, uh, I understand that you can't join a joint defense. That's one thing. If, on the other hand, there's information that 
implicates the president, then we've got a national security issue. You know, we need some kind of heads up uh, just for the sake of protecting all, all interests if we can. Remember what we've always said about the president and his feeling toward Flynn. No, that still remains, but... John Dowd leaves this voicemail, uh, which has been retained for history, for Flynn's lawyer, in which he kind of says he just wants to remind him of the president's warm feelings towards him, but he really needs a heads up if this is going to be a problem. This would be a national security issue. Sort of uh, this kind of on the one hand, on the other hand, sort of wheedling of him, you know, I need to know if he's going to hurt my client. But by the way, my client really likes Flynn. Um and one of the most important things to understand about all of these uh, interactions with witnesses is that unlike a normal person who might be the subject of an investigation, uh, as president, Trump has this incredible power that normal people don't have, which is the power to pardon. Uh, so in the background of everything is this notion that if you stay on the president's good side, he can wipe away this whole legal problem you've got. Whether you think you're guilty or not, he can just make it go away for you by giving you a pardon. And so telling someone that the president feels warmly about them, likes them, you know, feels badly for them in the context of the president of the United States is a really significant message because it's holding out the hope that the president might do something about those feelings. Feelings. Uh, so that's what Dowd says in the message. On November 23, 2017, Flynn's attorneys returned the call from the president's personal counsel to acknowledge receipt of the voicemail. Flynn's attorneys reiterated that they were no longer in a position to share information under any sort of privilege. According to Flynn's attorneys, the president's personal counsel was indignant and vocal in his disagreement. The president's personal counsel said that he interpreted what they said to him as a reflection of Flynn's hostility toward the president and that he planned to inform his client of that interpretation. Flynn's attorneys understood that statement to be an attempt to make them reconsider their position because the president's personal counsel believed that Flynn would be disturbed to know that such a message would be conveyed to the president. The following day, Flynn's lawyer actually calls Dowd back and says, look, warm feelings or no, this is the path we're on. We're cooperating with the government and we should not be talking anymore because our interests aren't aligned. And at that point, Dowd really takes a, a shift. The warm feeling stuff goes away. And now he tells Kellner, Flynn's lawyer, I'm going to uh, I'm going to convey to my client that your client now is in a hostile position. He feels hostile towards him. He's no longer on the team. Most team sort of says uh, that you know, they assume he said this because he knew this would bother Flynn. It would bother Flynn to feel like he had lost the president's uh, support and good feelings and that it could affect how cooperative he was to know that the president felt as though he had betrayed him. Then, on December 1st, 2017, Flynn pleads guilty to making false statements. He's cooperating with the feds. In a press conference the following day, President Trump says he's not worried. And what has been shown is no collusion, no collusion. There's been absolutely, there's been absolutely no collusion. So we're very happy. 
We'll see what happens. Thank you all very much. Over the next several days, the president made public statements expressing sympathy for Flynn and indicating he had not been treated fairly. He tweeted, so General Flynn lies to the FBI and his life is destroyed while crooked Hillary Clinton on that now famous FBI holiday interrogation with no swearing in and no recording lies many times and nothing happens to her? Rigged system or just a double standard? And on December 4th, he says this about Flynn. I feel badly for General Flynn. I feel very badly. He's led a very uh, strong life, and I feel very badly, John. On December 15th, Trump is asked whether he's considering a pardon for Flynn. I don't want to talk about pardons for Michael Flynn yet. We'll see what happens. Let's see. I can say this. When you look at what's gone on with the FBI and with the Justice Department, People are very, very angry. Thank you very much, everybody. These weird overtures to witnesses that are teetering between cooperating and not that Mueller is really interested in. And with almost every key player, Flynn, Cohen, and Manafort, you see that, these overtures from lawyers just trying to keep them on side. And in the minds of those witnesses, I think pardon is a, is a big thing. Meanwhile, it isn't just the president's former national security advisor who finds himself in trouble with the law. It's his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, and Manafort's deputy, Rick Gates, as well. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort is in jail tonight. He led a multi-million dollar lobbying campaign in the United States at the direction of the government of Ukraine. Paul Manafort entering court on Friday, only to be told soon afterwards that he'd be going to jail. He admitted that he knew it was illegal to engage in such lobbying without registering. Delivering important information to an active agent of Russia. He admitted that he took steps not only to avoid his own registration. Uh, you have people like Donald Trump, a receptacle for a lot of this dirty money. This white man bringing him to a facility that is in Virginia. On October 27, 2017, a grand jury in the District of Columbia indicted Manafort and former deputy campaign manager Richard Gates on multiple felony counts. And on February 22, 2018, a grand jury in the Eastern District of Virginia indicted Manafort and Gates on additional felony counts. Manafort and Gates are in hot water. But Manafort tells Gates not to worry the president is going to take care of them. In January 2018, Manafort told Gates that he had talked to the president's personal counsel and they were going to take care of us. Manafort's told Gates it was stupid to plead, saying he had been in touch with the president's personal counsel and repeating that they should sit tight and will be taken care of. Gates asked Manafort outright if anyone mentioned pardons and Manafort said no one used that word. In a really confusing way, Paul Manafort is actually indicted twice. The first time he's indicted, he's indicted alongside his deputy, Rick Gates. So that happens in the fall of 2017. And so these two guys know that they are facing some very serious legal problems. They know that Mueller is still out there continuing to investigate and that things are going badly for them. There was a lot of rumors at this time that Rick Gates uh, might decide to kind of part ways from Paul Manafort and take a guilty plea and start cooperating. 
you know, this is a decision that is facing Ricky. It's also facing Paul Manafort. Do I accept lesser charges and help the government and try to save myself? Or do I continue to fight this? And so in February of 2018, uh, Paul Manafort and Rick Gates have a conversation. And Paul Manafort actually tells Rick Gates, I've been in touch with the president's team. We're going to be taken care of. Um, it would be stupid to plead guilty. That's what he tells him. It would be stupid to plead guilty. Rick Gates says something really reasonable back, right? Which is, you know, let's not do this sort of mafia talking around the edges. We're going to be taken care of. Did anyone tell you we're going to be pardoned? Like, that's what I need to know. Straight up, are we going to be pardoned? And Manafort says, well, no one used the word pardon. Um, and so Rick Gates decides that's not enough for him. That's not a good enough assurance for him. And so he pleads guilty. I think he pleads guilty a couple of days after that conversation. Um, uh, and so he starts to cooperate with the government. Former Trump campaign advisor Rick Gates pleaded guilty Friday to conspiring against the United States and making false statements to the special counsel. Gates walked into U.S. District Court about 2 o'clock this afternoon, walked out an hour later in Washington, D.C. Gates revealing in a letter to family and friends that he had a quote-unquote change of heart and would not be fighting these charges against him. Here's Johnson again. Paul Manafort, uh, according to his uh, former right-hand man, Rick Gates, was kind of getting assurances that the president and the White House would take care of us if we only held firm, if we only, only refused to plead guilty under all this intense pressure from the Mueller team. This is an enormously powerful incentive for people like Paul Manafort to withstand a criminal trial. But as Manafort's case moves forward, Trump is souring on him behind the scenes. As the proceedings against Manafort progressed in court, the president told White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter that he never liked Manafort and that Manafort did not know what he was doing on the campaign. The president discussed with aides whether and in what way Manafort might be cooperating with the special counsel's investigation and whether Manafort knew any information that would be harmful to the president. Trump may be expressing doubts about Manafort in private and wondering if he knows anything that can harm the president. But publicly, it's another story. Trump is telling the press and the public that Manafort is being treated unfairly. On June 15, 2018, right before a hearing on whether Manafort's bail should be revoked based on new charges he tampered with witnesses, the president gives an impromptu press statement. You've got a former campaign manager, your former lawyer. They're all dealing with legal troubles. Are you paying close well, attention? Well, I feel badly about a lot of them because I think a lot of it's very unfair. I mean, I look at uh, some of them where they go back 12 years. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign. But I feel so, I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. He worked for me, what, for 49 days or something? A very short period of time. I feel badly for some people because they've gone back 12 years to find things about somebody, and I don't think it's right. I don't. Is there any consideration at any point of a pardon for any of the people that I don't want to talk about that. No, I don't want to talk about that. They'll run. But look, I do want to see people treated fairly. 
the Paul Manafort saga goes on. He's indicted again. Eventually, uh, he's accused of tampering with witnesses in his own case. And it's there's a possibility his bail is going to be revoked and he's going to be sent to jail to await his trial. So he goes on trial in uh, Virginia in August of 2018. And so during all this time period, the president talks a lot publicly about how badly he feels for Paul Manafort, that Paul Manafort is a good guy and that he's being really mistreated by this terrible deep state that uh, that's taking some little tax issue he has from years ago and blowing it up. When Manafort's bail is revoked a few hours later, the president takes to Twitter. Hours later, Manafort's bail was revoked and the president tweeted, wow, what a tough sentence for Paul Manafort, who has represented Ronald Reagan, Bob Dole, and many other top political people and campaigns. Didn't know Manafort was the head of the mob. What about Comey and Crooked Hillary and all the others? Very unfair. As soon as Manafort's bail is revoked, the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, starts giving interviews suggesting that Trump might pardon Manafort. Giuliani told the New York Daily News that when the whole thing is over, things might get cleaned up with some presidential pardons. Giuliani also said in an interview that although the president should not pardon anyone while the special counsel's investigation was ongoing, quote, when the investigation is concluded, he's kind of on his own, right? Unquote. People are still fighting over whether the president can pardon himself, but it's pretty clear he can pardon most other people for most other reasons. The only qualifier there is that you have to believe the president's going to do what he says he's going to do. And Donald Trump is such a such an irrational decision maker and decider in so many ways that Paul Manafort was kind of gambling, just like his entire career was a gamble. Paul Manafort was kind of gambling that at the end of the at the end of this, uh, he could believe the president and could believe Rudy Giuliani that a pardon would be in the offing. Two days later, Giuliani goes on CNN to walk his comments back, sort of. If Manafort is convicted, will President Trump pardon him? I guess I should clarify this uh, once and for all. I think I have. Uh, the president has issued no pardons in this investigation. When it's over, hey, he's the president of the United States. He, ha he retains his pardon power. Nobody's taking that away from him. But I, I don't want to, I, I couldn't and I don't want to take any prerogatives away from him. That doesn't mean they're going to happen here. A big signal is nobody's been pardoned yet. There's a whole section in the Mueller report about how Trump treats those who cooperate. So Manafort, you know, he praises him for being so strong. His lawyer talks publicly on TV about the idea of pardons. And that's not to say he's out there saying, Paul Manafort, you stay strong. We got you, buddy. But when the president's lawyer is on TV talking about pardons, like, well, that's not something that's going to be discussed yet, but maybe when the investigation is over, we would discuss that. That's something that Mueller is looking at is, is the president trying to dissuade witnesses from cooperating? On July 31st, 2018, Manafort's criminal trial in Virginia begins. The president's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, wrapped up his first day of trial Tuesday. He is facing several charges related to financial fraud in the first trial stemming from charges brought by the special counsel. The next day, the president tweeted, quote, this is a terrible situation and Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. 
Bob Mueller is totally conflicted, and his 17 angry Democrats that are doing his dirty work are a disgrace to USA, unquote. Later in the day, the president tweeted, quote, Looking back on history, who was treated worse? Alphonse Capone, legendary mob boss killer and public enemy number one, or Paul Manafort, political operative and Reagan dole darling, now serving solitary confinement, although convicted of nothing. Where is the Russian collusion? Unquote. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's Carrie Johnson again. I was inside the courthouse in the Eastern District of Virginia for that entire trial. You can't bring in any cell phones. You can't check your phone. You can't find out what's been said. So it's only kind of at the end of the day or during a break that you find out the president's been issuing tweets about Paul Manafort while this case is going on, which, by the way, I don't think has ever happened before in the 24 years I have been doing this. That The president of the United States is issuing public statements in support of a defendant literally on trial. And one of these tweets is, uh, this is a terrible situation and Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to stain our country any further. Then Trump goes on to uh, berate Bob Mueller and the what he calls 17 angry Democrats, calling them a disgrace. Then uh, Trump starts tweeting about Al Capone and comparing Al Capone, who was public enemy number one, to Paul Manafort and it just asking about where it's, where's the Russia collusion. And so we're running in and outside the courthouse right? Watching the opening statements, watching the government's first witnesses, and then only coming outside to find out the president has actually has his fingers on the scale during this criminal prosecution, which Kevin Downing, Paul Manafort's lead lawyer, seems to enjoy very much. He smiles outside the courthouse, says, says repeatedly, it's a great day for America, says he welcomes this show of support from the president of the United States. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders is asked what the president means by his tweets. Certainly the president's been clear. He thinks Paul Manafort's been treated unfairly. Steve? He's being treated worse than Al Capone, the president says. And he does this in interviews and he does this in tweets. And he does it at like really key moments of Paul Manafort's interaction with the Department of Justice, including the day that he's going to uh, go in for his hearing about whether his bail will, will be revoked as his trial opens, as the jury gets the case to decide whether or not to convict him. And so, you know, you could definitely see the possibility that the president is trying to send the message to to Paul Manafort that, you know, he's got his back. And if he stays strong and does not cooperate with the government, that he could be pardoned. 
At the same time, Mueller's uh, folks look at the question of whether he's actually attempting to shape public opinion and shape the jury when he goes into the trial. I mean, the fact is he's tweeting and saying all this as the jury gets the case. And so, you know, it could affect how the jury looks at this. On August 16th, Manafort's case goes to the jury. And while the jury is deliberating, the president talks to the press about the case. I don't talk about that now. I don't talk about that now. I, I think the whole Manafort trial is very sad. When you look at what's going on there, I think it's a very sad day for our country. He worked for me for a very short period of time. But you know what? He happens to be a very good person. And I think it's very sad what they've done to Paul Manafort. Thank you very much. In response, Manafort's attorney says his client appreciates the president's support. But there's bad news for Manafort. A federal jury has delivered guilty verdicts on eight of 18 charges against Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Manafort now facing prison time for bank and tax fraud. On August 21st, Manafort is found guilty on eight felony counts in Virginia. That very same day, the president's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, pleads guilty in the Southern District of New York to campaign finance violation charges involving the president. Also on August 21st, Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to eight offenses, including a campaign finance violation that he said had occurred, quote, in coordination with and at the direction of a candidate for federal office, unquote. So I'm inside the courthouse. Uh, the only people who have uh, communication devices that they can check regularly are Associated Press reporters who have an office there. So one of them ran in, uh, ran into the Manafort courtroom while the jury was deliberating and said, Michael Cohen just flipped. And so we all ran out of the courtroom scurrying around trying to figure out what was happening. And then, of course, late the same day, Manafort is convicted. And so it seems like one of the darkest days for the White House in terms of this ongoing criminal investigation. President... Trump actually comes out with another public show of support for Paul Manafort, who's just been convicted, saying he's a, a good man. It's a very sad thing that's happened, and, and he feels very badly for Manafort and his wonderful family. Now Michael Cohen uh, gets very, very different treatment for not staying on the team. Michael Cohen gets berated. Trump says that Michael Cohen flipped and he president of the United States seems to want to take away one of the Justice Department's greatest powers in investigating criminal uh, suspects or potentially criminal suspects. President Trump actually says that flipping maybe ought to be outlawed. One of the more bizarre things that's come out of the mouth of this president. That afternoon, Trump talks to reporters again. I feel very sad about that. Uh, it doesn't involve me, but I still feel, uh, you know, it's a very sad thing that happens. This has nothing to do with Russian collusion. This started as Russian collusion. This has absolutely nothing to do. This is a witch hunt, and it's a disgrace. And the next day, Trump tweets more support for Manafort. The next day, the president tweeted, quote, I feel very badly for Paul Manafort and his wonderful family. Justice took a 12-year-old tax case, among other things, applied tremendous pressure on him, and unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. Such respect for a brave man. And he gives an interview to Fox News slamming Cohen for, quote, flipping and praising Manafort. 
you're saying the payments, if they're not illegal, then why would he even, why would he use that information for a because plea deal? He, because he makes a better deal when he uses me, like everybody else. And one of the reasons I respect Paul Manafort so much is he went through that trial. You know, they make up stories. People make up stories. This whole thing about uh, flipping, they call it. I know all about flipping. For 30, 40 years, I've been watching flippers. Everything's wonderful, and then they get 10 years in jail, and they, they flip on whoever the next highest one is, or as high as you can go. It, it almost ought to be outlawed. It's not fair. Are you considering pardoning Paul Manafort? Uh, I have great respect for what he's done in terms of what he's gone through. And I would say what he did, some of the charges mm -hmm. they threw against him, every consultant, every lobbyist in Washington probably does. Giuliani told journalists that the president, quote, really thinks Manafort has been horribly treated, unquote, and that he and the president had discussed the political fallout if the president pardoned Manafort. The next day, Giuliani told the Washington Post that the president had asked his lawyers for advice on the possibility of a pardon for Manafort and other aides and had been counseled against considering a pardon until the investigation concluded. Manafort has been convicted in Virginia, but he's still facing a steep set of charges in the District of Columbia, and he decides to plead guilty and cooperate. On September 14, 2018, Manafort pleaded guilty to charges in the District of Columbia and signed a plea agreement that required him to cooperate with investigators. Giuliani was reported to have publicly said that Manafort remained in a joint defense agreement with the president following Manafort's guilty plea and agreement to cooperate, and that Manafort's attorneys regularly briefed the president's lawyers on the topics discussed and the information Manafort had provided in interviews with the special counsel's office. Uh, first, Manafort is convicted. The jury convicts him in August. And so he's in kind of dire straits because he's already been convicted of eight felonies. And now he's about to go on trial in, in D.C. And if he's convicted again, he's just facing tons and tons and tons of time. So uh, he he decides that pleading guilty is not so stupid after all. And so he does. He pleads guilty and he starts to meet with uh, Mueller's team. Uh, but one of the things that comes out is uh, – from the start, from the start of his cooperation, his lawyers are still talking to the president's lawyers. They they continue to be in this joint defense agreement, and basically they're funneling them information about what uh, what Mueller's prosecutors are asking and how Paul Manafort is responding. Instead of it being sort of a threatening thing that Paul Manafort is now cooperating, it actually becomes a sort of helpful thing to the president's team and to the president because suddenly they kind of have a, a spy inside Mueller's camp, bringing them back information about what the uh, what Mueller's team is continuing to investigate and what questions uh uh, Paul Manafort is being asked. And um, ultimately, Mueller's team concludes that his cooperation is fake. He's not really cooperating. He may have said he was cooperating, but he's continuing to lie uh, about certain key questions. And uh, they actually go to the judge and say, uh, we believe he breached his plea agreement. On November 26, 2018, the special counsel's office tells the court that Manafort has breached his plea agreement by lying about multiple subjects. If you promise to cooperate and then lie to the government, all bets are off. Manafort's problems are getting bigger and bigger. Breaking news, a major development in the Russia investigation, a new court filing by the special counsel, Bob Mueller, claiming Paul Manafort lied 
to Mueller's team and the FBI repeatedly. Okay, and now here's the crucial point. After he pleaded guilty and agreed to cooperate with prosecutors. So after he'd reached this whole deal, he lies to Bob Mueller's team, he lies to the FBI. The next day, Giuliani says the president has been upset for weeks at the treatment of Manafort. The Manafort case and the Russia probe both on the mind of President Trump. His attorney, Rudy Giuliani, telling CNN he's been upset for weeks about what he considers the un-American, horrible treatment of Manafort, adding, this wouldn't be happening to him if not for this perverse, overzealous desire to get the president. Giuliani also admitting he's been in contact with Manafort's defense team, saying he knew Manafort was, quote, running into problems with Mueller. And in an interview on November 28th, President Trump says he's not taking a pardon for Manafort off the table. During an Oval Office interview, President Trump told the New York Post he has not ruled out a pardon for former campaign chairman Paul Manafort. Quote, it was never discussed, but I wouldn't take it off the table. Why would I take it off the table, the president said. Mr. Trump also alleged that Manafort, political advisor Roger Stone, and his associate Jerome Corsi were pressured to lie. Quote, you know, this flipping stuff is terrible. You flip and you lie and you get. The prosecutors will tell you 99% of the time they can get people to flip. So Mueller's team goes to the judge and tells her that Paul Manafort uh, has breached his plea agreement by continuing to tell lies. And ultimately, they kind of throw up their hands in disgust, really, and just say uh, he has not been cooperative and we want that to be taken into account. Uh, when he is sentenced, he is ultimately sentenced to seven and a half years. Uh, but this is a place where you can actually see the president's actions having a real effect on the investigation. It appears as though Paul Manafort believed that a pardon uh, was in the offing for him, uh, or at least that seems like a strong possibility. As a result, he withheld certain things from the investigation, and uh, the investigation was not able to get around uh, his lies. There were things they were not able to figure out that they wanted to figure out because he was not fully honest, which he perhaps was not fully honest because of what the president had done and said. I think the Mueller team concludes that there are major questions they cannot answer in the course of this investigation because, in some cases, the obstruction worked. And nowhere to me is that more evident potentially than in the matter of Paul Manafort. Mueller talks about the president's interactions with someone, but he says revealing what or who would cause harm to an ongoing matter. Rosalind Helderman explains that, as with the redactions in Volume 1, we know whose name is behind those black bars. It's Roger Stone. We feel very strongly based off of the length of the redaction of the name and common sense uh, that this is a discussion of the president's interactions with Roger Stone. Um, uh, in fact, that's been confirmed in court because um, Roger Stone will go on trial in November. And uh, there has been particular uh, conversations about whether this section of the report can be redacted. There's a gag order in that case. And uh, the special counsel's office uh, had sort of assured the judge that they would not make this public prior to his trial uh, because of the gag order. So I think we're, we're fairly certain this has to do with Roger Stone. Uh, we don't know uh, it, what it says. Uh, I would presume that we will learn what it says after the trial, uh, that that is the moment, you know, when there's no longer an issue of potentially affecting uh, the jury pool uh, in that upcoming case. Uh, once they convict or acquit, uh, we should learn what the president did or said that might have affected Roger Stone. 
Lawfare managing editor Quinta Jurassic notes that there are even more clues that this is Stone. There isn't any real question. This section is about Roger Stone. Stone himself has said this in court. He's litigating over being able to see it in advance of his own trial. Uh, it's it's a little bit silly, really, that Stone's name is redacted here because it's on the public record. Um, for example, in the section on Manafort right above this, Mueller quotes an interview Trump gave in which he is praising Manafort for not flipping. And Trump says, but I had three people, Manafort, Corsi, and... And then in the report, the last name is redacted, but the interview was public. And so we know that the full quote is Manafort, Corsi, and Roger Stone. So it's very easy to put those pieces together. And while there haven't been court filings that include the specific facts at issue, Jurassic says it's not hard to fill in at least some of the gaps on that either. So we know it's Roger Stone. And we know Mueller has put it in a section that is about the president's efforts to possibly dissuade witnesses from testifying. The sections on Manafort and Flynn and Cohen all point to public and private outreach from the president and his team to these various people. We don't know whether Trump communicated with Stone privately, but we do know there are public tweets that are likely part of this analysis. Uh, For example, so on December 3rd, right around when Flynn pleads guilty, Trump sends this tweet, which reads, quote, I will never testify against Trump, end quote. And then Trump goes on, This statement was recently made by Roger Stone, essentially stating that he will not be forced by a rogue and out-of-control prosecutor to make up lies and stories about President Trump. Nice to know that some people still have guts, and guts is also in quotes. That is very similar to the tweets Trump was making about Manafort, saying he respected Manafort for not breaking and for being brave. Those tweets made their way into the report, so I think it's a reasonable assumption that Trump's public comments about Stone might have as well. And when asked, Trump doesn't exactly rule out pardoning Stone either. Here's the president talking to Margaret Brennan of Face the Nation in February 2019. Your friend Roger Stone was just indicted for his involvement. First of all, Roger Stone didn't mine. work on the campaign, mm-hmm. except way, way at the beginning, long before we're talking about. Roger is somebody that I've always liked, but a lot of people liked Roger. Some people probably don't like Roger, but Roger Stone's somebody I've always liked. I mean, Roger's a character. But Roger was not, I don't know if you know this or not, Roger wasn't on my campaign, except way at the beginning. Right. So it's all, and, and yet you will ask me a question like that wasn't involved in my campaign. Would you pardon him? Have not thought about it. Uh, It looks like he's defending himself very well. But you have to get rid of the Russia witch hunt. Stone's trial is actually coming up, and at that point we'll be able to see what's in this section of the report. Uh, So we'll know precisely what it is that Mueller thought was relevant that Trump said and did. And we'll also know whether there was any kind of behind-the-scenes communications uh, between Trump and Stone that the public doesn't know about. For now, all we know is that there was something significant enough that Mueller devoted two and a half pages of the report to it, which is actually a little bit more than the amount written about Flynn and witness tampering. So does Trump's behavior towards Flynn and Manafort and what we know about Roger Stone constitute obstruction of justice? First, Mueller says there is evidence of an obstructive act with respect to Flynn, The president's actions toward witnesses in the special counsel's investigation would qualify as obstructive if they had the natural tendency to prevent particular witnesses from testifying truthfully or otherwise would have the probable effect of influencing, delaying, or preventing their testimony to law enforcement. 
With regard to Flynn, the president sent private and public messages to Flynn encouraging him to stay strong and conveying that the president still cared about him before he began to cooperate with the government. When Flynn's attorneys withdrew him from the joint defense agreement with the president, signaling that Flynn was potentially cooperating with the government, the president's personal counsel initially reminded Flynn's counsel of the president's warm feelings toward Flynn and said, quote, that still remains, unquote. But when Flynn's counsel reiterated that Flynn could no longer share information under a joint defense agreement, the president's personal counsel stated that the decision would be interpreted as reflecting Flynn's hostility toward the president. That sequence of events could have had the potential to affect Flynn's decision to cooperate, as well as the extent of that cooperation. But when it comes to Trump's personal involvement, Mueller runs into a problem, attorney-client privilege. Because of privilege issues, however, we could not determine whether the president was personally involved in or knew about the specific message his counsel delivered to Flynn's counsel. One of the things that uh, Mueller's team seemed to find a little complicated about this episode is it was a little unclear to them to what extent President Trump was involved with those interactions. And because of attorney-client privilege, they couldn't pull in John Dowd to ask him and try to get his account of why he was sending the messages that he was. Was it his own view? Did the president order him to do it? And so in in um, uh, assessing the president's conduct towards Flynn, that was a problem for them. Was it Dowd? Was it the president? So of all the sort of treatment of witnesses that you see described in the report, Flynn is the one where uh, Mueller's team uh, sort of comes down most wishy-washy on whether or not they feel like uh, that was problematic. And Mueller says when it comes to Manafort, there's an obstructive act, too. With respect to Manafort, there is evidence that the president's actions had the potential to influence Manafort's decision whether to cooperate with the government. The president and his personal counsel made repeated statements suggesting that a pardon was a possibility for Manafort, while also making it clear that the president did not want Manafort to cooperate with the government. Those statements, combined with the president's commendation of Manafort for being a brave man who refused to break, suggested that a pardon was a more likely possibility if Manafort continued not to cooperate with the government. And while Manafort eventually pleaded guilty pursuant to a cooperation agreement, he was found to have violated the agreement by lying to investigators. The president's public statements during the Manafort trial, including during jury deliberations, also had the potential to influence the trial jury. The president's statements during the trial generated substantial media coverage that could have reached jurors, and the president's statements during jury deliberations that Manafort happens to be a very good person and that, quote, it's very sad what they've done to Paul Manafort, unquote, had the potential to influence jurors who learned of the statements which the president made just as jurors were considering whether to convict or acquit Manafort. Nexus is obvious. Flynn, Manafort, and Stone were all under criminal investigation and were contemplating cooperating with the special counsel. But intent, at least when it comes to Trump's behavior towards Flynn, is more complicated. Evidence concerning the president's intent related to Flynn as a potential witness is inconclusive. 
because of privilege issues, we do not have evidence establishing whether the president knew about or was involved in his counsel's communication with Flynn's counsel, stating that Flynn's decision to withdraw from the joint defense agreement and cooperate with the government would be viewed as reflecting hostility toward the president. And regardless of what the president's personal counsel communicated, the president continued to express sympathy for Flynn after he pleaded guilty pursuant to a cooperation agreement. Mueller says that Trump's intent with respect to Manafort is clearer, at least when it comes to the question of Manafort cooperating. Evidence concerning the president's conduct toward Manafort indicates that the president intended to encourage Manafort not to cooperate with the government. Before Manafort was convicted, the president repeatedly stated that Manafort had been treated unfairly. One day after Manafort was convicted on eight felony charges and potentially faced a lengthy prison term, the president said that Manafort was a brave man for refusing to break. Although the president had privately told aides he did not like Manafort, he publicly called Manafort a good man. And when the president was asked whether he was considering a pardon for Manafort, the president did not respond directly and instead said he had great respect for what Manafort had done in terms of what he's gone through. The evidence supports the inference that the president intended Manafort to believe that he could receive a pardon which would make cooperation with the government as a means of obtaining a lesser sentence unnecessary. The president was more blatant about what he said to Paul Manafort, and because Paul Manafort and his lawyers, at least for a while in playing footsie with the government, gave the Mueller team some information to work with, um, the Mueller basically concludes the evidence supports the inference, and this is Mueller being so careful, the evidence supports the inference the president intended Manafort to believe he might get a pardon at the end of this, and that could have changed Manafort's behavior with respect to the investigation. The record on what Trump intended by statements that could influence the jury is more mixed. Some evidence supports a conclusion that the president intended, at least in part, to influence the jury. The president's statements could, if they reached jurors, have the natural tendency to engender sympathy for Manafort among jurors, and a fact finder could infer that the president intended that result. But there are alternate explanations for the president's comments, including that he genuinely felt sorry for Manafort, or that his goal was not to influence the jury, but to influence public opinion. The president's comments also could have been intended to continue sending a message to Manafort that a pardon was possible. Mueller says that uh, the evidence supports the idea the president was trying to lean on the jury. Now, even though the jurors are not supposed to be uh, watching TV, listening to the radio, reading the newspaper, listening to lawfare, it's possible that some of that information or material crept in. Um, or could have crept in, and that it may have been what the president was intending to do all along. And certainly Kevin Downing, Manafort's lawyer, was walking past the television cameras outside of court every day talking about the president's support for Manafort, and there was a reason for that, probably. So the record here is mixed. When it comes to Flynn, Mueller says there are obstructive acts, but he runs into other problems. The special counsel can't figure out Trump's personal involvement in leaving that voicemail message because of attorney-client privilege. And, he says, Trump's intent in making public statements about Flynn is inconclusive. Yes, Trump seems to have wanted Flynn not to testify, 
but he might have been motivated by actual sympathy. The special counsel says he can't know for sure. When it comes to Manafort and dangling a pardon, Mueller lays out evidence of obstructive act, nexus, and a corrupt intent. When it comes to comments that might influence the jury, however, the special counsel can't nail down the president's true motivations. Again, Mueller is laying out the evidence and letting someone else make the judgment about what exactly it means. And he's almost done telling the story about everything he's found out. But Mueller saves one person for last, the president's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. And to tell the story of Donald Trump and the man who once said he'd take a bullet for him, Mueller says we've got to go all the way back to the very beginning. Fox News has confirmed that President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, has reached a plea deal with prosecutors. This means that Cohen could indeed be pleading guilty. That's next time on The Report. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of The Report. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and the Democracy Fund, and by listeners like you. To support this project, please go to lawfareblog.com. The Report is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. Ian Enright is the executive producer. Production assistance from Shar Dreyer. From the Lawfare team, the project is led by executive editor Susan Hennessy. Editor-in-chief is Benjamin Wittes. Interviews conducted by managing editor Quinta Jurassic. Recordings by Michaela Fogel and Jacob Schultz. Additional assistance by Margaret Taylor and Gordon All. Special thanks to Rosalind Helderman, Matt Zabatowski, Jamie Nowaday, Carrie Johnson, and you, the listening audience. To support this show, please share this podcast wherever you can. And while you're at it, please subscribe and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Our website, lawfareblog.com, is where you can learn more about Lawfare, read our work, and support our mission. Until next time. You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.